I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to At the End of the Day, the podcast. I'm Hannah Sung. In every episode, I speak with friends who have stories and experiences that I like to learn from. I also speak with experts when I'm looking for advice. In today's episode, we have someone who calls himself the internet's favorite dad. His name is Brittle Star, also known as Stuart Reynolds, and I first came across his viral videos during the pandemic. They were in my Twitter feed, and I thought, what is this? His videos are clearly funny, but they were also touching on some pretty explosive topics, like this video from over a year ago in March of 2021. As vaccine rollouts start to pick up speed in most areas, you may feel pressured to get the vaccine. Though there are actual medical reasons that may prevent you from getting the vaccine, those are rare, such as severe allergies to one of the ingredients in the vaccine or an autoimmune issue. However, you may not want to get the vaccine for one of many other reasons, such as you're a big chicken and you're scared of needles. You can't get enough of those lockdowns. You have a complete ignorance of medical science for the past 100 plus years. Okay, if you think back to that time, I know I felt like I could really use a laugh. So thank you, Brittle Star. You gave it to us. And Brittle Star was definitely on my radar after that. So today I've brought him on the show to ask him about how to be so public with your views and with your personality in a world that is not always hospitable to quote unquote opinion. Yeah, I'm talking about social media. Here is my conversation with Stuart Reynolds. Good morning, Stuart. Nice to see you. Good morning. <laughs> I have to admit, you know, I, I know you a little bit, but I feel mm-hmm. like, do I call you Brittle Star? Do I call you Stuart? Do I call you Mr. Brittle Star? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Star? I mean, I mean uh, back, I taught high school briefly for one semester. It was the start of the Brittle Star days and the kids there called me Commander Star. So, I mean, you, oh. I don't feel you have to do that, but if you feel the need for some sort of official title, Commander Star is fine. But otherwise, <laughs> Stuart, I'll answer to Stuart. Okay, cool, cool. So, the theme for today that I had thought up was just how to be yourself in public and mm. why, because it's actually, I think, harder than it seems at first. And you, as Brittle Star, you're so good at being very connected with yourself, but creating content that goes viral. And it's always very funny, but it always has like a bigger purpose. I sense a bigger purpose anyway. Wow. I mean, is this an okay theme to go with for today? Praising me? Yes. (laughs) Anything that's flattering to me, I think is a great theme. I appreciate you saying that. That's so kind to say. I'm happy to chat on that. Okay, great. Because I just want to understand how you do it, you yourself, so that maybe there are little bits of info that we can all kind of glean from what you're doing. Because not everybody is a professional influencer. Mm. I don't even know if you use the word influencer. But everybody or or most people are on social media. So 
everybody has the opportunity to be as public as they want to be for their own people. Yeah. And it's sometimes a hard, it's a hard life to be open. It is. I mean, I think that you still have to draw boundaries. Like you're right. There's this whole push on social media where it's a push for authenticity and I'll air quotes that authenticity because <laughs> it's kind of become its own thing and its own meaning. To me, that authenticity means you're building a trust relationship with the viewer because of the medium itself. The medium is so intimate. People are usually holding you in their hand when they're in the bathroom, when they're curled up on the couch <laughs> or in bed, or they're holding you above them when they're lying in bed, which they wouldn't be able to do in real life probably unless they're very strong. <laughs> I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it would be very <laughs> difficult and fraught with danger. But uh, you know, it's such an intimate medium that you, you're really building it on trust. And that's where that authenticity comes in. But that authenticity doesn't mean that you have to expose everything. I had an ethics professor in university who said, privacy only has value because we put value on privacy. If everybody knew everything, there would be no value in privacy. And I sort of subscribed to that idea. It's like things are only valuable because we want to make them valuable. So I think that on social media, you just have to draw those boundaries. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, just the medium demands that you're genuine to an extent. Mm -hmm. So I would love to just kind of know the Brittle Star story in a nutshell. Like in case people have not come across your viral videos yet. Yeah. I very naturally kind of glommed onto what you were doing because your videos came across my feed because they were so popular. People were sharing them and I saw you a couple times and I was like, who is this guy? And so then I gave you a follow. Then I realized we do have a real life friend in common. Yeah. Garvia Bailey, you grew up together. And then I knew you were good people, but I, <laughs> I you're so funny. And then when I started to engage more deeply with your stuff, I, I just could see through lines in it. So anyway, for people who have never seen a Brittle Star video, who are you? For people who have never seen a Brittle Star video before, I'm a middle-aged white dude who's trying to apply some common sense and calm downness to everyday <laughs> issues. That's kind of what I've evolved into. I mean, I, I started social media content creation when I was 43. So I came to it very, very late as, as it were. A lot of my peers starting out were like 16 and 18 and stuff. So it made it very hard to relate. I mean, that kind of forced me to be myself and kind of forced me to take the role of this sort of dad persona. And that's kind of what it is. So when you see my content online, it's like talking to dad at his best. He's already maybe freaked out about something, but then he's calmed down. He's went for a walk or he's mowed the lawn or he's had a beer. And now he's like, you know what? I've had to think about this. And we just have to relax. Here's the situation. And that's kind of the goal for what I'm trying to do. I don't know if I always hit it because sometimes, I, I mean, I'm just emotional. I'm just a teary meat bag like everybody else. <laughs> Aren't you really? Yes, totally. My thing has always been like entertain first, sell second. And you can swap out sell second for incidentally learn something or accidentally learn something. Entertain first and accidentally learn something. Yes. And that's kind of the best way to, to learn things anyway. What do you feel like people learn from you if they were to watch like a dozen of your videos in a row? I'd hope that they maybe feel heard to an extent. I've kind of gotten that vibe over the past few years of people saying that I'm able to express or articulate how they're feeling about something, but we're unable to articulate it, which is really lovely to be able to do for people. I think social media is built on hysteria. It's built on building people into a frothy, anger-filled foam. <laughs> and 
hopefully they can look at the videos and say, okay, this is getting a little out of hand and let's just all take a breath and take a step back and let's just deal with this like adults. And I hope they just sort of get a little bit of escape as well. Mm-hmm. So it's so true that on social media, emotions get rewarded. A lot of those emotions are negative and that's how you can go viral. But you use humor as your way of connecting, which is also an emotion, but it's positive. When did you first know that you're funny? <laughs> it's like one of those things where you start to think, well, I think I'm funny. I enjoy making people laugh. Like I think back to like you mentioned that we have a mutual friend in Garvia Bailey and I was best friends with her older brother, Hainsley. I remember having a sleepover at her place when I was like about 10. So she would have been an eight or maybe nine. Oh my God, this is too cute already, this story. <laughs> and uh, but we, I brought over a portable audio recorder, like a tape recorder. That was my mom and dad's. And we just made radio shows. Like us and our friends made like fake radio shows and fake commercials and just tried to make each other laugh with the, that stuff. So it's like you sort of go back there and go, I like that. But I never considered comedy as a viable career. Like I've never wanted to be a stand-up. I remember the Toronto Sun did a profile on me and they said, Canada's funniest comic. And I was like, are they trying to sink me? Are they trying to like make <laughs> me stop and get me killed by the comedic community? Oh my gosh. So to rewind for a second, you were talking about a sleepover when you were 10 years oh, yes. old and making fake radio shows. Do you still have that audio? I do. Yeah, hang on a second. Let me see how I can find it. How would you like to set it up? In the recording, I refer to Garvia as Snarvia, or I think actually it's Pete <laughs> Nebodomsky refers to her as Snarvia because she was a little sister. So she got a lot of <laughs> abuse from the older brothers and his friends. <laughs> so she's referred to as Snarvia. And then it just goes on for far too long and recorded <laughs> in 1979, I believe. This belongs in a museum. I know. It really does. Heritage Canada should be notified <laughs> of this immediately. Well, thank you so much for bringing that tape, actual literal tape, to this podcast. <laughs> and since we're there in your childhood, I'd love to hear just a little bit of your background. You know, like people know you now as this like conqueror of the internet world, but you grew up in Stratford. Mm. And then after your childhood, you know, what were you doing between becoming an adult and 43, at which point you started this new life? Well, I mean, I've largely been self-employed since I was 19. I started doing radio jingles because uh, I'm very involved in music pretty much my whole life. And radio jingles was a good way to make money from that and a good way to get mom and dad off my back. Kind of like, yes, it's okay that I've bought this $4,500 keyboard that you have to pay for because I forgot to pay for it. <laughs> so I did that for a while, got married, and then got divorced, then met my current wife, then moved to the UK, and then came back to Canada. And then we had a tech company for over 10 years, and the tech company was hacked. And within the space of 48 hours, our business was like 80% of it was gone. That just wiped us out. And it was horrible. It was a really, really oh super God. dark time for us. That was in 2006, beginning of 2007. And it took eight years of trying to dig out of that hole and eating nothing but lentils for a long time. And then at the end of 2013, I made a video that kind of took off. 
Cause I just started, I sort of thought I have to do something to make myself happy. Cause I was just like, so mm-hmm. like mired in depression. And I was like, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do this. And I actually watched a super cut of the American, the office bloopers. Yeah. And I was like, God, they laugh every day. I don't think I can remember the last time I laughed. Like I literally couldn't remember <sighs> the last time I'd laughed. And I was like, oh okay, well God. this, this is stupid. I need to do something about it. So then making the videos was kind of like my therapy and my way to vent and I made the stupidest videos in the world with a plastic Chewbacca doll. But then I made this one video called Put Your Finger on the Screen that took off. And then it was about a month after that that Disney contacted us and said, we'll pay you to make these videos for us. And I was like, what? One month, like 30 days after. 30 days. One like, of the biggest companies calls you. Yes. Yes. Isn't that wild? It was just really bizarre. And so they they said, we'll fly you to California. And I was like, I can't afford to go to California. And they're like, no, no, we'll pay for everything. Plus we'll pay you thousands of dollars and you can bring your family. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I guess this is the thing now. And we literally, when we were down in California at the event we were hired to work at and to appear at. Shannon, my wife and I had this conversation after talking to a bunch of other content creators and we're like, I think we could do this. This is a good way for us to spend time with our kids. We get to travel and we don't have to eat lentils anymore. This is pretty great. Let's do that. <laughs> so it's been a really weird, wild ride between making that tape with Snarvia to now. <laughs> well, I love that story because it actually, the beginning of your reinvention was that you were truly doing something for yourself. Yeah. You were shocked when anybody offered to pay you money for what you were doing. I couldn't believe it. It really was started from like, I just need to do this for me. And this just needs to be funny for me. And then getting an audience was like, oh, I've got like 50 people like this video. That's really great. And that was super exciting for me. But then I have to sort of, I'll just jump ahead to sort of say like the big motivator was after we'd had some success, after finding out we were going to to work with Disney, we went to a Vine meetup in Young and Dundas Square in Toronto. The meetup is where content creators and people who, who are fans will go to meet up and and sort of actually meet the people who create the content. And I thought it was stupid that I was going to go. I was like, this is crazy because everyone else is doing it is like 18, 16, 20. <laughs> and I'm like, why am I here? But I went and I'm in the crowd and they're on stage and it's like Sean Mendez, <laughs> like a bunch of other content creators. Sean Mendez was 14 at the time and I'm like, oh God, I'm 43. <laughs> And I was like, how horrible is this? But then they waved me up on stage. And so I got pulled up on stage and people were yelling and taking pictures and all that kind of stuff. And it was really fun. But prior to heading over to the stage, though, I walked across the street and this woman ran up to me and she was like in her late fifties. And she gave me this big hug. And she said, I just want to let you know that your videos have got me and my family through a really hard time recently. And I was like, oh, uh, you're welcome. And it was the first time I'd realized I was like, oh, I've been doing this for me, but apparently it's got value for other people. Never mind Disney who says they want to pay us, but for other people watching, it's like this has got functionality. And as soon as I realized that, it made it really easy to stay motivated and be like, okay, good. These things have mm-hmm. purpose. They have function. They might be silly and stupid sometimes and ephemeral or whatever, but that's okay. They still have function and purpose, and, and that's a good reason to keep doing it. And that's been my big motivator. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So do you think that when people first come across your videos that they are surprised in any way by what comes out of your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking this basically because I was surprised. Well, that's fascinating. So what did you expect? I'm not saying like, what did you expect? I mean, yeah. like, what were your expectations when you looked at me? Because I kind of think I know what your expectations might have been or what someone who doesn't know what I do, what their expectations get. But I'd like to hear yours. Yeah. So, you know, I desperately wish that I remember the very first video that I saw of mm. yours. I, I can't say that I do because it. I saw that's you hurtful, a few okay. times before... <laughs> I deeply apologize. But, you know, you always made me laugh. Mm -hmm. But then I think that it was during the pandemic where I started to see your videos and you clearly had this direction that you were taking. So you were bringing people along on this comedic journey that might be only a minute long. Mm -hmm. But by the end, you really just wanted to leave people with, like, as you say, some common sense, social justice oriented, community oriented message. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a laugh for a laugh. And I, I think that that's what comedy can be very, very good at anyway, right? Like our sure. culture's best comedians are the ones who have messages. But I appreciated that because when things are getting so amped up on social media and you can just make people laugh and be like, wear a mask or like care about nurses. And you also reference yourself as like a dad, a white middle-aged man. Kind yeah. of melty, as you say. <laughs> like, um, Let's not dwell on that, okay, Hannah? <laughs> I respect and admire that because I feel that white men should also acknowledge who they are, you know? Sure. Why do white men get the pass for like it being the norm so norm core that it doesn't even get mentioned, you know, when trust me, my identity gets mentioned by others all the time, but I am also just me. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's important and I realize it's important as a white middle-aged guy that to ignore that is foolhardy. And it's kind of the staple of my – like when you sort of mentioned like social justice messaging and stuff like that. I mean that's kind of it. It's like even things like for Pride Day last year or something, I did a video and I was like, hey, you know, if you are not accepted by your parents and, and you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, I'll be your honorary internet dad. Absolutely. And as part of that, I will – be proud of you and I will be supportive of you. Here's what I will not do. I will not give you the keys to the car. I will not lend you any money. And just kind of going on that <laughs> idea of like, you don't have to be so extreme on your views on, on things. It doesn't have to be like, I'm absolutely supporting you. You're never wrong. It's like, no, you might be a jerk and gay. You can be both, but it's, it's totally fine because you know, you don't have to be a white middle-aged guy and horrible. You can be a white middle-aged guy and, and fairly okay. Being aware of that is something that really came to light for me when I was – I'd done this thing where I was introducing a comedian at an event. I'd worn like a suit jacket type thing 
I tucked my shirt in, which was very unusual for me to do. And I don't want it to look nice. And so I'm at this bar and this guy tapped me on the shoulder as I'm talking to our group of friends. And he says, judging by the way you're dressed, I imagine you lean quite uh, conservative to the right. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh my God. This is not who I think I'm projecting, but apparently I am. And then he launched into this conversation that was incredibly racist, specifically against indigenous. And it was like, where is this coming from? Wow. But when he said to me, judging by the way you dress, you're, you obviously lean quite conservative and to the right. My response, like knee jerk response was I was like, buddy, I am like one good sandwich away from communist and gay. Like I am like, this is not who I am. And that's his very Stratford joke, by the way, because most of our sandwich shops are run by the LGBTQ community. Okay. Thank you just for trust me explaining on that. the joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, that experience, having talked to that dude and he then brought his friend in, it was, it was just horrible. And I was like, no, no. And I immediately untucked my shirt. Obviously, that was what was doing it. Okay, and, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But since then, I was like, okay, I have to make a real effort to differentiate myself from this surmised sort of expectation that people have of looking at me as a white middle-aged guy mm -hmm. thinking he's probably anti-gay. He's probably a little bit racist. He's probably a little misogynist. He's like, no, you don't have to. I can still be a white middle-aged guy and not be a total ass, you know? It's good for white middle-aged guys to know that. That's an option. Well, you know, that conversation is very bizarre, the one where Isn't the guy it? came up to you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also a really interesting reminder of how he felt it was a safe place to air his repugnant yes. views. Like you were that safe place for him. I know. Isn't that distressing? It is distressing, actually, because that's the kind of stuff that he would never say to me at a bar. But no. it swirls around in his mind and he saves it for you, unfortunately. I know. Yeah. And I look at, I don't tuck my shirt in anymore. See, I just <laughs> so You can tell Excellent. I'm an ally that, now. <laughs> yeah, that's the takeaway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, did you feel like a responsibility after that? Like, wow, I can speak to the people of the world like him. Like he, he will open the door of his mind to someone like me and I can get in there with all the things that I need to say. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I'm a little bit of a Trojan horse in a sense for for white folk. <laughs> I think that one of the things I might be able to do is that people see me, like when we started the conversation about you know what your expectations were by looking at me, what was going to come out of my mouth. I think people look at me and think, oh, he's just going to be another white middle-aged dude. And then hopefully the things I'm saying or the actions I'm doing make people go, oh, he's apparently still white middle-aged dude, but he seems to be okay with treating people with respect and nicely. And I don't want to overstate what I'm doing because I'm just an idiot. I think that's the key <laughs> to remember is that I'm just an idiot. You're not. <laughs> uh, well, I, I was just mainly fishing for compliments, but so thank you for letting me reel one in. But I think that I'm not doing anything necessarily special or outrageous or that requires any effort. It's just, I remember having a conversation after that, that guy said that to me with my wife, Shannon, and said to Shannon, I need to clearly vocalize how I feel and how I stand on things. And I was really angry. And she's like, you don't have to clearly state and vocalize these things. You just have to walk the walk. You have to just include it somehow. You have to just make it part of what you're doing as opposed to taking a stand and being all performative and being, uh, which performative stuff is fine sometimes, like virtue signaling, <laughs> you know, signal good virtue. That's amazing. It's called modeling good behavior. <laughs> 
but you don't have to just like make a statement. You just have to live it and just do it and include it as part of your way of thinking and your view of the world and how you process things in the world. Absolutely. It is about walking the walk, which I think is why people can sometimes be a bit side-eye about social media because it can be so easy to say words Mm -hmm. and we don't really know in someone's real life when or how they walk the walk. And in fact, I think that walking the walk is so powerful and effective when you get no kudos for it. You know, that's not the point of it, right? Yeah. And it can be so effective in someone else's life or the effect that you can have doesn't need to burnish your own brand. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things though I have to say to that is that I think getting kudos is fine. I think that's great. Whatever. Even if it's someone does good things for the kudos alone, they're still doing good things. So that's okay. If you're just saying things but not backing it up by actually doing anything and then you get kudos for doing good things but no one's actually seen you do good things, then that's questionable and it becomes a bit dodgier. You know, I just wanted to revisit for one second how I had mentioned that when I first started seeing your videos, I was often a little bit surprised. And I just wanted to say that I think that it's it's not that I was surprised that a middle-aged white man could have the values that you have. It's more that the thoughtfulness and the self-awareness that you put on display, that's not something you come across every day. And so it is a little bit about what you were saying, your wife, Shannon, in that conversation. You you did kind of flip your inner thinking inside out to verbalize mm-hmm. and be clear about where you stand, which I think is a real skill and talent today when everybody's on social media and when it's very easy to say things but not explain fully enough, like where your thoughts come from or where you stand. Not that you have to take a stand on everything, but I just no. appreciated your thoughtfulness and your self-awareness because that's what privilege is the ability to go through the world without having to examine. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'm very aware of the privilege aspect of it. There's a lot of power that comes from that because really, I'm a white middle-aged guy. I'm going to be absolutely fine. So I can use that position of privilege and power and use it to show people you don't have to be a dick. That's kind of been my whole MO for the longest time in doing content creation is like, just don't be a dick. Like there's, there's enough of those in the world. You don't have to be. So just don't. When you do career talks in elementary schools, is that how you give your advice? <laughs> <I've> done, <laughs> do you I've have done... <laughs> a, a differently worded version of your advice? Don't be a wiener. That's what that sounds. <laughs> Wiener's okay, I think. Okay, you heard it here first. I just want to revisit at the very beginning of the conversation, you talked about your boundaries. So here you are, a person who puts your face in your humor and even your family to an extent mm-hmm. on all the social meds. <laughs> wow. What are your boundaries? On the social meds? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be using that for now on. That belongs to Phoebe Robinson, by the way. Does it? Okay. All right. I love the way she talks. Well, like all white middle-aged dudes, I'll just co-opt it and make it my own. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm laughing. It's okay. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I think like as our kids got older, right from the beginning, we would do branded stuff. Like right from the very first Disney thing, Disney was like, we want the whole family. But it was like, if one of the kids didn't want to be in something, they didn't have to be in it. 
So you kind of have to want to be part of it because they're creating their own boundaries as well. Harder to do when you're younger and you kind of, as a parent, you have to kind of help guide that. But So did you say that to Disney? Hey, one of my kids doesn't want to be in this? Yeah, it happened to us once as well. Like we, we were on site to film and we arrived. It was like, you know what? You're only getting one kid today. And they were like, okay, because I had written that in in the contract. It was like, there's no guarantees because I am not mm. forcing anyone to be in this video. I will be in the video. And mm-hmm. I will dress like a cat and I will show up in the park and I will do what I have to do because <laughs> I am easily bought. <laughs> but my children might not be. They might have morals and principles much beyond my own. And they were like teenagers at the time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing that you had already thought out in advance before you yeah, got I, there. I think there's, especially in social media with family stuff, there's a risk of getting into toxic positivity this fake everything's amazingness is like, no, not interested in that at all. Yeah, It doesn't do any good and it provides no utility for people. It might provide a momentary escape, but then it makes them feel terrible about their own lives. And it's like, that's not the reality of it. Hmm. I love that you talk about boundaries because I think you absolutely need to have them when you want to live very publicly. And like, those are the guardrails that you put in for yourself. Yeah. I think everybody has to have them regardless. Think on social Mm -hmm. media, I think in life in general, but I think you have to respect yourself enough to make boundaries. And it takes a really long time to learn that because you want to make yourself available. You feel like you're going to miss out on things. You feel like people are going to think you're not worth something. But the truth is, it's like, you just have to be like, you know what? I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not going to do it. And Mm -hmm. that just makes you cooler. That's all it does. So yes, agreed. Are those your parting words for if someone, you know, again, you talk about utility and purpose and and what people can get from your videos. And from this conversation, I I was kind of hoping that people could learn from you, Stuart, about how to be at ease with all the swirling different things that you have to kind of have in order to be comfortable with being a public figure. And boundaries are it. Boundaries, I think, are the big thing. And they don't have to be rigid. I mean, when people say be authentic on social media, again, let's go back to the beginning of the conversation. When they say be authentic, it doesn't mean you have to expose everything. It just means you have to be kind of genuine. Don't try to maintain an elevated version of you or an amped version of you that is not possible or isn't feasible to maintain. And the other side of it is that you don't have to share everything. That's not the point of it, you know? I agree. I like keeping some things for myself. It feels kind of precious. Yeah. Something that you cherish. I don't know if I cherish. I don't know if I don't cherish the things I don't share. I just think, ugh, I don't even want to talk about them. Why would anyone else want to hear about them? Oh, well, now you've just piqued everyone's interest. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll In do a next, blog about it. star video. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It was a, a real joy to be here and to chat and exciting as well. I'm a fan. So it was cool. Yay, it was really fun. I'm a fan. Hooray, we're fans of each other. That <laughs> sums up social media right there, doesn't it? Basically. <laughs> Thank you for listening to At the End of the Day. Share this podcast with a friend or give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. This episode was produced by Olivia Trono and me, Hannah Sung. Theme music for this show is a song called Commentators, written by Jeremy Singer and performed by Hank. At the End of the Day is brought to you by a team including newsletter editor Laura Hensley and editorial assistant Francis Kim. And if you are contributing to the Patreon for the show, thank you so much. That includes Christian, Tash, Laura, Debbie, Lauren, Christy, and NC. Your support of this show is what brings it to life. Really hope you enjoy this episode. You can subscribe to my newsletter and find our Patreon link at endoftheday.ca. 
And I just got to let you know that we just launched a brand new website there. So thank you very much to Catherine Taves for building it. That's endoftheday.ca. This podcast is part of the Media Girlfriends Network. You can find us at mediagirlfriends.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 